0: Hey everybody, Sam Mellinger here, sports columnist with the Kansas City Star. I am grateful for you listening to the 50th episode of the Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears podcast. 50! Uh, I feel like we should have a party or something. Um, I feel like I should do more than tell you that 50 is the number of touchdown passes in Patrick Mahomes' MVP season. Um god we we planned the show as a bit of an experiment um and then when the pandemic hit i realized we were looking at perhaps the absolute worst time in human history to launch a sports podcast Um uh, but we did it anyway and and i have to say like one more time i'm just thankful for you guys for for making this work uh the feedback has been great um we've made a lot of changes based on what you've told us and not just by coming out from behind the paywall Um, because I can say all these words and, um, you know, Savannah Smith puts the, Derek Donovan's doing the show this week. Um, and Derek and Savannah, um, and Savannah's absolutely terrific and, and I want everyone, especially her bosses, to know that. Um, but you know, like, we can say these words. On the podcast, and you know Savannah and Derek can take my mess and clean it up and present it. But you know, if I was going to do a show like this, I wanted to make sure that it was a kind of show that you would feel a part of. You know what I mean? And and that's why I've never considered anything other than how can we be worth your time. And it's why the middle of the show always has your voices in it. Uh, the general plan has been to give you a perspective that you might not consider here at the top. Then make sure we're hitting some stuff that you want to talk about in the middle and then finish up with a conversation or insights from someone a lot smarter and, and, and more accomplished than me. And I think it's been a good formula. But again, if, if that's true, it's only because of you, uh, for giving us your time. So, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate. Every one of you. Um, okay, uh, let's get in it. The the top here is about the Royals, um, who finally played a baseball game in front of fans yesterday. Um, they won a wild game, uh, three different comebacks, and Michael A. Taylor throwing two dudes out at the plate and hitting a home run. Uh, Greg Holland and Wade Davis closing it out like it's 2014 again. Uh, but I wanted to step back here a little at the top and paint a little picture about how the front office believes this thing can work. Um, you know that, and then the the questions this week are going to hit on you know sort of um in the second section the questions will hit on like how we put this show together uh how the royals are spending their money the the state of the KU and K-State basketball programs and a question about journalism and the audio will be full of stuff from the game last night um Also, not be doing my job if I didn't mention uh, that there's a few columns on the website that I think you'll like. One from a conversation with John Sherman about what he expected to feel and everything that went into trying to make the Royals better now than they were when the pandemic started. And another column from Thursday's game. spoiler alert here, but check the website and print on Sunday for another Royals column. Another from the conversation with John, but this one focusing on the Royals. Really awkward spot with the TV deal that's currently shutting out uh, most streamers. I don't think that the Royals or John have have spoken on that publicly um, except for this column that you'll see this weekend. So I hope you check that out. Okay. uh, The Star is running a special promotion for the Sports Pass right now. $1 a month for three months for all of our sports coverage, including more original Chiefs and Royals content than you can find anywhere else. You can find that on our website or just reach out to me on twitter or facebook or email and i'll send you the link Uh, i appreciate all of you who've listened and offered great feedback and written and asking for the subscription link your support means everything to me and more importantly to the people i work with so thank you um okay let's get it uh guys like the royals believe in people Right. Like from Dayton Moore's first day as general manager nearly 15 years ago, that has been their guiding principle. The Royals believe in scouts. They believe in coaches. They believe in players. Uh, Baseball moves fast. And there are some who would say the game has moved faster than the Royals in recent years. But, you know, here they are like six seasons removed from a world championship. Some real roster momentum for the first time since Lorenzo Cain and Eric Hosmer left in free agency. And they're still where they started. Like they believe in people. Um, the, the Royals greatest mistakes and successes can all be traced to that very truth. It's sort of like the, the Chiefs golden rule about whatever's good for Patrick Mahomes. That's what they do. The Royals golden rule is that they believe in people. And uh, here they are 2021 and the big league club, they are going to rise or fall based on that principle um you know if the royals believe in a man's character they will believe in his performance you know regardless of recent results and the entire starting outfield and three-fourths of the infield are here and supported from this belief right like same with the manager um who will guide them right mike Matheny has had issues in the past like people in st louis have very strong opinions about mike Matheny. the royals believe in who he is so they hired him um you know like it it's so look the two exceptions on this uh Whit field will lead off and, and play second best he is a stud the royals know it salvador perez will hit in the middle of the order and catch also a stud the royals know this but the rest listen to how these guys are put together i just think this is really interesting and kind of can help you know help you think about the royals in in a way that's maybe smarter than uh than your friends and that's kind of what i'm trying to hear here to do guys um it's just a team built on belief. I, I just like Think about this. Andrew Benatendi uh, is going to hit second, and he'll play left field. And the last time that we saw Andrew Benatendi um, on a big league field, he was injured and unproductive. He slashed 103, 314, 128 in 14 games last year. Uh, but the Royals believe he's more of what he was the previous four seasons, you know, 277, 354 on base, 442 slug, with room for some more extra base hits, you know, in, in a big outfield like Kauffman Stadium. Uh, Michael A. Taylor, he will play center field. He has not been a productive hitter for three seasons. Uh, the Royals believe a shortened swing, regular plate appearances, and the support of the coaches. That's going to bring up more contact, more on base, along with the excellent defense that we saw uh, yesterday in the season opener. These, I mean, you see this pattern over and over. Guys who stunk last year, the Royals believe are going are to bounce back. Um, you know, Carlos Santana, he's going to play first and back cleanup. He'll turn 35 next week. He hit 199 with the worst on-base and sluggy percentages of his career last season. The Royals believe some of that was, you know, 2020's weirdness and longstanding relationships that they have with Carlos. They, they bet two years, $17.5 million, that he's still one of the game's tough routes. Uh, Kyle Isbell is playing right field. He hadn't played above Class A until yesterday, until opening day. Uh, but he impressed at the alternate site last summer and in spring training. Um, Hunter Dozier, uh, they gave him you know twenty four million dollars guaranteed, but his power was just sapped last season. Uh, but the Royals believe he's now fully recovered from COVID nineteen. They believe that that's what that's what the problem was. So they signed him to that contract. Um, you know his work ethic, extra base power, competitiveness. That's what they they believe in him. We're going to save uh, Montese for last uh Mondesi you know like whenever he's healthy he's going to play shortstop and I think he's going to bat third and Mondesi was arguably baseball's worst hitter for 2 months last season and then immediately became arguably baseball's best player in September uh we're saving him for last because he's the most complicated here and and also because <laughs> he's the one with the most like faith baked in, right? Like he's the most like sort of faith based player that they have. Um, And also because he's starting the season on the injured list with an oblique injury, like it is an oversimplification to say that, you know, if modesty turns into a star, then the Royals will win the championship. Right. Um, Same as it's an oversimplification to say that, you know, if he's not a good player, the Royals won't ever win. Uh, but they do have a lot invested in this guy. And, and I think it's really telling that this will be the sixth big league season that he's played in. And he hasn't played in more than 102 games in any of them. And what's really telling about this is that he's been, he's been unreliable, inconsistent, and the Royals would still sign him to a long-term deal right now. Uh, and that is an incredible amount of faith, right? And, and look, like while we're here, like with Mondesi, this injury has brought up a lot of bad feelings with a lot of Royals fans. And some of you guys, I hear you're, you're frustrated. You're talking about walking away from the guy. I get it, um, and, and I do believe that the Royals' handling of Mondesi from the very beginning has always been ahead of his production. Um, but you guys, like he is 25 years old. He is a switch-hitting shortstop who plays the position really well. And even if he never improves as a hitter, he's got some pop. Um, He's already led the league in steals and triples. Uh, He's shown that he can, you know, sort of catch a heater and and carry a team for a few weeks. And that is a really valuable piece. And it is hard to overstate, like, how much room for improvement he has. And, And I get the frustration. I do. But, again, he's 25. When Alex Gordon was 25, Alex was still a third baseman with, you know, two more seasons of hearing about how he was a bust who didn't care enough. And the Royals should just walk away from here. Or walk away from him. And I'm like, I'm not here, I'm not telling you that is gonna be Gordon, right? Um, I'm not saying like he's gonna declare he's about to dominate and then, you know, have a five year run where he's the best at his position or Homer off Familia point to the clouds. I'm not, none of that. What I'm saying is that I don't think he walk away from like top shelf talent especially when they're not making any money yet, right? Uh, and this is a bet the Royals have made. Um, and, and it's one that they've made with, with such conviction that they are planning to debut like Wonder Boy Bobby Witt Jr. at some other position to keep Mondesi at shortstop. That's what a team does when it's all faith, you know? And And I know Royals fans look at these things differently and all you guys care about is the result and that's how it should be uh but i'm telling you this is incredibly interesting and you know not just because it's one more way that the royals are sort of their own deal you know like operating a lot differently than than the other 29 um you know at least from my perspective it's cool to see this thing from from close up and you know to see what works and what doesn't uh it's it's a grand old experiment um okay uh before we move on to the rest of the show Uh, This podcast is free, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to ask you one more time to join us behind the paywall. We work hard to bring you information and perspectives you can't get in other places. Uh, We have the most journalists working the Chiefs beat, the most combined experience around the team, the most perspectives. Uh, Please help support us. Give the sports pass a try. Again, you can join for a dollar a month for the first three months or $30 for a year. You can find those links online or just reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, email, whatever, and I'll send them along. Um, Okay, quick break, and then we're back with some questions. If you want to participate in next week's show, please call 816-234-4365. Leave your first name, where you're calling from, and almost literally any question. Uh, put the number in your phone, call anytime, 816-234-4365, or as the great reader Michael points out, 816-BEG-IDLE. Okay, uh, quick break, and then we are back with those questions.
1: Hey, Sam, this is Phil calling from Sioux Falls. and. After just listening to podcast number 48 on the Friday the 26th, I got to thinking, after 48 podcasts, do you have the part about, where well, you're talking about the podcast is free, but you're going to ask people to pay for sports coverage. Do you have that memorized? And I'm not asking this you know, as a snarky question because I pay uh, for the subscription and I'm glad to do it, but I'm just interested to know if you have that part memorized or do you have like the sticky note? like right next to your computer so you can read it every week. Stupid question, but anyway, that's what it is. Bye-bye. I probably should, right?
0: Uh Because now I know I've said it 50 times, right? But uh no, I'm always doing the old like copy and paste thing from the previous week's episode and, you know, tweaking a few things here and there. But, Uh, I do have to admit, I find myself feeling like sort of like a flight attendant at times with that thing. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that tone that flight attendants get, like the inflection of the voices, it's like they just turn into robots or trying to entertain themselves when they're talking about, you know, if you're seated next to a child. Or someone who's acting like a child. Put your own mask on first before assisting them with yours. That stuff, too. Like, man, they are always trying to spice it up with, like, the corniest jokes. You know, like, in the unlikely event of a water evacuation between Kansas City and Milwaukee, (laughs) your seat cushion can be used as a flotation device. God, I hate that stuff. But uh, And now here I am, becoming that. I become what I despise. Uh, but anyway, Phil, no, I do not have that stuff memorized, but, um, if I ever do get that spiel in like song or like one of those over the top, like Southwest flight attendants, uh, you know, you have my, not just my permission, but my insistence that you drive straight down immediately from South Dakota to my house and punch me in the nose repeatedly. Um, okay. Uh, let's probably, we should talk about sports now.
1: Hey Sam, this is Mac in Johnson County calling about the Salvi contract and your writings about it and stuff, and I would argue that it's why. Well, I don't want to say Dayton's a bad GM, but there are poor decisions that Alex Gordon, when we knew he was past his prime, and he wasn't that. uh oh, well, he was just getting older. Same with Salvi and everything like that. Yeah, we love them; they're institutions. They brought us a world championship and everything like that. But you don't hurt futures signings by signing guys that are going to be past their prime to long-term contracts. Sure, give them a bonus, give them a front office job, give them a scouting job and pay them a bunch of them, but I think that they're just hurting the future of the team just as they do when they bring up Brady Singer a few days earlier than in preventing us from keeping control for the Euro. Bad decision. Yeah, nice guys and stuff like that, but none of them are going to be at the end of their contracts Heading into free agency looking and saying, do I want to stay with Kansas City for 50, 50 mil or do I want to take the 100 mil that New York or San Diego or whoever else was offering up because they were nice enough to give me a few days early jumpstart on my career. Thank God, Bobby Waste not coming up because I would hate to see that happen because I hope it will be a problem in the future. <clears throat> but anyway. Those are my thoughts. Yeah, they're great guys. Reward them differently. Give them front office position. Give them whatever. But I think it hurts the future of the team paying these guys when they won't be producing. And uh that's all. But, yeah, hey, they invited us to World Series, so I'm forever grateful for that. I just make it. <laughs> Thanks. Bye.
0: Look, man, I get it. Um, I really do. And I've had this conversation a hundred times with guys in that front office, uh, especially Dayton. Um, I believe that small market teams already have a lot going against them. And, you know, while I believe that the service time rules are jacked up and they should be changed yesterday because right now they are incentivizing teams from promoting their best talent when they're ready. Um, And that's terrible. That's terrible for the players, it's terrible for teams. Uh, That needs to be changed. Yesterday, Like I said, Uh, but, you know, those rules exist right now in this moment. You know what I mean? So teams kind of I think teams owe it to themselves and their fans to navigate the rules in their own best interest. And, you know, look, because like Alex Gordon did not take less money on that free agent deal because the Royals debuted him in the big leagues on opening day instead of waiting a bit. Right, like Sal Perez did not take less on the extension that he just signed because the Royals essentially like ripped up that awful deal that he signed in 2011 or 2012. Like you know, these conversations like that that I'm having, um, you know, when they're with Dayton, he usually just kind of like nods his head and says he understands what I'm saying, and uh, but then he talks about like you know why they operate the other way, and I got to tell you, like I can disagree with it, um, but I absolutely respect the bejesus out of it. Um, and you know, they are essentially running the organization and Dayton says this sometimes and it can sound corny, but it's true. They are running the organization in a way that treats every prospect, no matter high, how highly rated they are, uh, the way that we'd want our own sons to be treated if they were ball players I know that sounds corny, but that's how they run their team. Uh, that's how they run the organization. And also, like, if you just want to look at this coldly, um, you know, because I can talk myself off of thinking they should manipulate service time. Because if you just want to look at this coldly, there's a competitive advantage here, you know. And, and the Royals got the equivalent of, like, five or six extra sixth-round picks last year. You know, when you just look uh, at which undrafted guys they were able to sign – You know, the Royals are usually an attractive place to work for coaches, for scouts, for trainers, for all the support staff that helps big league players get better. And, you know, it would be like pretty difficult too. you just have to be honest, it's kind of difficult to tell players like you love them, you know, you'll fight for them, you'll support them as people and all this and yada, 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 and then play these shady games with service time, you know, or just routinely go to arbitration. Like, I I don't think you can do both both sides. So, um, you know, I, I think... The Royals know that they could have saved money on this extension with Perez, for instance. Um, I also think they think that there's value in making him happy and feeling valuable. You know what I mean? And and not just that, but value in all the younger players seeing that as well. So now, look, um, is, is that value more than whatever else the Royals could acquire with that money? I have no idea. Uh, my suspicion is No. Um, uh, but I also know the Royals are the only small money team to win a world series since the strike, you know? So they're doing something right. And, you know, either way, like just <laughs> for a sports columnist, like it is a fascinating way to run a baseball team. And it's hard to criticize a company for treating its employees well. You know what I mean? Um, okay. Uh, we're going to switch sports here.
1: Hey, Sam. This is Owen from Topeka. Serious question. Which school's basketball program has the more desirable situation heading into next season Kansas or Kansas State thanks you're doing great
0: uh look I I get where you're coming from I think maybe you know you're you're talking about KU's infractions case and that thing could be a bear um you know KU's athletics department they've got a lot of problems right now like a ton of problems um you know like in 10 years you know we might look back and and it's like like hot Dang, do you remember the time that Les Miles went O for a season and had to go, but not because his team stunk, but because of these sexual harassment allegations from his last job? And then they propped up the AD to present confidence and the plan for the future, but that went so terribly that by the next morning, he was gone too. And all of this was happening as the Jewel basketball program is facing all these level one charges, and my goodness, there's a lot of high-level problems. Like, you know, right now... <laughs> KU had a an interim a no AD basically, and and they signed this contract, this lifetime contract. You probably saw with Bill Self that basically gives him immunity from any NCAA punishment. Um, you know they cannot fire him because of the results of that case, and he gets paid uh, half his salary if he gets suspended. Uh, I mean it's just they did all that uh, with all this stuff going on. It's just it's it's pretty incredible so um i I get where you're coming from owen and and this is not a slam on k-state i'm going to tell you you can probably tell by my tone i'm going to tell you that that k used the better job and that's not a slam on k-state that is a good basketball job k-state's got history uh they got facilities uh the fans are great um it is a job where you don't get fired for not winning conference titles but it's also a place where you can win conference titles like that is a really attractive job uh to coaches and I, i don't know what will happen next year um, with K-State, but if next year is the season that Bruce Weber, like, finally lands on the wrong side of one of these, you know, 51-49 decisions, then K-State is going to find a good coach to replace him. Like, that's real. Like, all that stuff is real. What's also real is that K-U basketball is just different. You know, there, there's maybe four programs that are different like that. Um, K-U, Duke, Carolina, which is obviously looking for a coach now too, and Kentucky. Uh, I, I think those four are, are sort of on a different level than than the rest. Like the money, facilities, support tradition, there's just, there's not a point in the foreseeable future where Kansas basketball is not going to be good. You know what I mean? Like, look, like let, let's assume the worst about the NCAA case. And again, Self's got the the contract with an incredible amount of job security Uh I mean, God, I want whoever negotiated that contract, I want him on on my side. Uh, But, like, look, just for the sake of this argument, like, let's assume that the result of the case is so bad that Self just has to leave. The program gets, you know, postseason banned, like, all the stuff. Um, What happens then? That's a bad situation, right? Well, we got two relevant precedents here. Um, Kentucky built up from the absolute ashes in the early 90s, and, you know, the NCAA crushed Kentucky. Uh, just absolutely crushed them. And then Kentucky hires Rick Pitino, and they're in the top 10 at the end of his second season. Uh, maybe the more relevant example might be actual KU, postseason man in 1989. Uh, Larry Brown leaves, needs to be replaced. In comes Roy Williams, and they finished fifth in the country in his second season and played in the national championship game in his third. So these things can happen pretty quick. And obviously you got to hire the right coach and all that stuff, but I just... It's a lot easier to hire the right coach at, at those kind of programs because those are the jobs that the that, that guys will leave really good jobs for. So, look, like whatever happens with the NCAA, you know, when it happens, it might feel like losing a limb, you know. Um, but even if they had to go get a new coach, that program is just going to get back on its feet pretty soon. That's just that's just how this thing is set up. K-State is a good job. You know, uh, I'm not saying anything otherwise. There's just a big gap between those two programs. Um, you know sort of like the big gap uh between the football programs of the two schools as well right so um okay uh, you know i 'm a sucker for journalism questions, so um here we go
1: hi sam uh this is this is also Sam I uh calling from the bay area um and my question is um about about writing. I have the privilege of um being a history and journalism teacher. I have some aspiring sports writers uh, you are one of my favorite sports writers ever. So I thought I would go straight to the source. How can um, I help these aspiring sports writers find their voice, find their passion? Uh, Any general tips you had would be greatly appreciated. Um, Again, thanks for all that you do. Um, Thanks for keeping me updated on on Kansas City sports from from out here in California. Thank you. Bye.
0: Uh, Hey, first, uh, Sam, thank you. Uh, That is really cool of you to say. And thank you for doing what you do. Uh, teachers for me are like tied with copy editors <laughs> as the best people in the world, you know, behind my wife and kids and Bo Jackson. Um, so thank you. And uh, and thanks for the chance to talk about this stuff, too. Uh, this is important for me. Uh, it doesn't seem that long ago that I was on the other side of these conversations, you know. Um, and to be honest, like I remember the people who helped me. <laughs> and I remember the people who, who made me feel like I could actually do this. And I also remember the ones that ignored me or worse. And, you know, I, I, I know which was, which side of that that I want to be on. So um, thank you. This is cool. Um, there's three basic things that I usually try to start with here with, with students. Um, you know, the first is like you don't need to think that you're going to be a professional journalist to get a lot out of journalism while you're in school. Um, there are so many skills that you can sharpen um, that will help you in a lot of different jobs um, or even just in life. You know, um, you need to be prepared. uh, You need to be well read. You need to be able to talk to people. You need to be able to communicate, uh, be able to write, um, you know, be able to find information, be creative, find this balance between, you know, humility and assertiveness. I'm telling you, there's just a lot there that can help you no matter what path you take. Um, you know, even something just as small as this uh, writing, you know, I can't tell you like how many times I've been able to, you know, talk my way into or out of a situation based on a well-written letter, you know, like, and and I don't mean like flowery prose or whatever, but like, you know, just stuff that, uh, you know, just a, a, a grammatically correct, confident in tone, no spelling error, stuff like that. It, it can go a long way um, and it can help you sort of fight power a little bit, you know, Uh, you know, just personally, like get some decisions to go your way. Uh, I mean, I don't know why these decisions or these situations are like popping in my head right now. But like, I I got out of like a $1,500 hotel charge once Um, I messed up, I I booked a non refundable rate. And so they got me right. Um, But I got out of that by like, (laughs) presenting my case, like clearly not being a jerk, you know, uh, and, and just presenting this well-written letter to, you know, the boss. I got out of it. A thousand dollar deposit on an apartment. You know, they they said there was more damage than I thought was fair. Um, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, and, and I'm not telling you to like, turn into the, like, let me talk to your manager guy. Uh, you know, this probably comes up like once every two or three years, but I'm telling you, like, when you feel like you're not being treated fairly, the ability to concisely articulate your side in writing can go a long way. Um, So that's the first thing that I try to tell people. You don't have to think that you're going to be, you know, the the next big thing in journalism to get something out of this. Um, The second, and this is more to do with students who really do think that they want to do this professionally, um, answer this question as honestly as you can. Um, Simple question. Do you need to do this? Do you need to do this? What I mean is like, there's a lot of easier ways to make money. Um, there's a lot of easier ways to make more money, (laughs) uh, than, you know, what you're going to get becoming a sports writer. Probably, um, you know, you'll have to start by doing stuff you're probably not stoked about, you know? So when the slow parts come or you're not reaching as many people as you'd like or whatever, like, do you think you'll quit or do you see it the other way? Right. Do you see this as something you need to do? Because like any other job you can think of would be boring or something you're not interested in, like you know, do, do you see this as something that you need to do because you feel chosen for it, right? Or, or chosen by it. And that, you know, that the research and the rewrites and the slow days and the slam days and all of that stuff that might turn other people off from this line of work. Like, are you one of us weirdos, right? Like me, that's drawn to that. Um, like, do you need every day to be different? Um, the creative outlet, of uh, the power over your process but also sort of the spontaneity of each day being different because if if you just kind of want to do this um and and the weird parts of this job are going to like grind you down then you're probably going to end up resenting the work right uh but if you're one of us weirdos that loves that grind and everything that comes with it like i honestly like i can't imagine a better way to make a living um okay so now like the in the last point that I try to tell people and, um, you know, I, I guess I need to apologize cause I, I'm only now like really directly answering your question, but I wanted to get a little of that other context in before doing this part, because it, it's a really smart way to ask this, uh, on behalf of your students. Um, uh, because that voice that you mentioned in the question, Sam, like that is so important. It, it's a big part of how people connect with you, um, how your stuff can stand out, Um, uh, but stand out in the good ways. And it, it's really hard to develop, you know, or at least it can be. For me, the best advice I got uh, when I was in your student's position um, and the stuff that's really helped me along the way is to accept at least two truths. The first is we're all versions of other people, <laughs> um, right? Or, or maybe a better way to say it is that we're all influenced by other people. And, you know, the second point here is that we should never be copies of other people, Never just try to be some like B side version of you know some writer that you admire. So, what does that mean? Um, how do you get there? Like, for me, the best way to do it is to choose some number of writers that you enjoy and respect. Um, the number can be whatever you want, uh, but you know, you want that balance between like variety and manageability. So, I, I usually like four to eight, somewhere in there. Uh, but whatever it is, find these people whose work you enjoy and consume as much of it as you can. Uh, read everything. Read it twice. <laughs> read it the first time, like as it's intended, you know, like a normal reader. Think about how the stuff is making you feel or think, all that. Then read it again. Uh, but this time, read it like a student. Read it like a student of the game and, and sort of pick it apart. Why did he use this lead? Uh, could I have thought of that? Why did she use this structure? You know, how, how would mine have been different? Um, you know, think about what that writer did that you liked, uh, what they did that you didn't, decisions they made that you wouldn't have considered, decisions you would have made that they didn't do, um, and just think about all that stuff. How you could have made it better, or how they made it better than than you could have. Um, and, and remember, like, no writing is perfect. Which you know, again, for us weirdos, that is sort of the best part of us, the best part of the job, right? And we're all trying to get better um you know even after we've been doing this for a while so anyway by the time you do this over and over and over and over um you're going to start to like sort of naturally steal this one thing from this one rider and this other thing from this other rider and you're going to of course like add your own spice to it right and and at some point that means you've got your own style and your own voice and and be true to that um but also don't be afraid to change and to take chances especially early um i always tell students to go back like 3 months 6 months 9 months whatever and reread what you think you did back then. And I'm telling you, if you're not somewhat regularly appalled at something that you thought was pretty good when you wrote it, I'm telling you you're doing it wrong, you know, cuz you're not taking enough chances. You're not letting yourself grow. So, if you can do that and be honest with yourself and keep at it and 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 find inspiration uh, in this, in the parts that might turn other people off, then I, again, this is one hell of a way to make a living. Um, and, and also while we're here, tell your students to keep their dirty hands off of my job, go for somebody else's job. There's plenty out there, but I like mine and I've got kids. So tell them to stick away. Um, okay. Uh, one more quick break. Um, and then we will be back with, uh, some sound from opening day, which was great. what it sounded like yesterday. And you guys, I am here to tell you it was glorious. Um, I like to take ballpark laps, um, you know, kind of my thing. Uh, maybe it's corny, but whatever. I like to, you know, just walk the concourse around the stadium sometimes and especially like to do this if it's my first time at a ballpark or it's the first game of the season or, you know, just something different. Um, yesterday I took three laps, (laughs) uh, full disclosure. One was going to each of the six concession stands that serve those helmet nachos and just seeing if I could sub in tater tots instead of tortilla chips. But still, uh, it's just the best. Um, and it's just been too long. You know, um, I, I just, I love to see a ballpark sort of come to life. Um, you know, throughout the day, you know, you see the routines, you know, like a few hours before the game. It's like people in suits or business casual doing the last second stuff, like moving chairs or tables or whatever. You know, people in uh, aprons getting the soda machines and the grills going. Then you get a little bit closer to first pitch, like 90 minutes or so. You, you see the most excited fans, you know, the ones that want to be the first ones in uh, these families, um, you know, high school kids wanting to see if they can get a batting practice ball or whatever. Uh, and then, you know, first pitch gets closer and closer. You just, you see here and you, you see and hear, uh, and, and more than anything else, you feel the thing just kind of come to life and wake up. And, you know, before you know it, Mike McCartney is introducing the team. Um, you know, so anyway, it was just so good to be in a ballpark, uh, with fans again. And, uh, you could hear it post game. Like, li- listen to Mike Matheny. Uh, this is him after the game.
2: Best opening day I've ever been a part of. Um, to watch out how, how those guys responded right away, and um, <clears throat> then to keep coming, go down again. Um, it was it was a, a beautiful thing to watch. Um, so, you know what? I you know a lot said about not putting a whole lot of faith in what happens in spring training, but I think stuff like that happens because of some of the positive things we saw and the way this group started believing themselves through spring training, and uh, this is um this is one we won't forget.
0: You might've heard or read that quote already, but I just want to put some context into it because I, I know we're in this Zoom world where you know hu- human contact is limited. Uh, and so I am always aware that we don't know these people as well as we used to. And, and that's coming from somebody who is always aware, You know, even when we have more access, that we don't really know these people as well as we sometimes pretend. So anyway, I'm here telling you that this is the rare Zoom interview where body language was really telling. Uh, you know, Mike leads with his heart. Um, for better or worse. And he's one of these baseball people who probably puts a little bit too much into every pitch in every moment. You know, the the shorthand here is the word intense, right? And, and Mike is really intense. Um, that can be a problem, right? Uh, you know, the, <laughs> Baseball, spring training, 162 games, and then hopefully more. It's just a ridiculous grind. And, you know, one of Mike's challenges is to figure out how to sort of minimize the problems that come along with, you know, that natural state that he has and maximize the natural benefits that come from that sort of demeanor. And, you know, anyway, that's probably some stuff for another day. We can talk about that as much as you guys want, but I'm bringing it all up kind of in shorthand here because this is one of those days where, you know, Mike just being like open hearted, you know, wear it on your sleeve sort of style was, was really important. Um And, you know, particularly in contrast to, you know, Ned Yost sort of, you know, never let them see you feel sort of deal. Um Anyway, here, here's some more from Mike.
2: Just the, those grinding at bats again. I mean, we saw it right from the top guys uh taking walks, working deep counts. Um, not trying to do too much, taking a good two-strike approach, um, just what we were hoping for. I mean, you, you talk about a Santana that was on base five times today. That's it's incredible, and just some real good jobs of situational hitting, let alone with you know causing damage. It was that mix we were hoping for, right? Those um, tough at-bats. Put, uh, put, put the pitchers on their heels a little bit, uh, work the walks when they'll give them to you and then hand it over to the guys to, to do some damage. And we had guys do damage today. It was, um, I, I gotta, it, it seems like we played two games today. I gotta go through a lot of it again. I, I need to watch that when I've got a lot of time. Um, but man, was that, um, that was special. That really was special. So,
0: look, it's probably true that there was no event in major American sports that the general public overemphasizes more than opening day. You know what I mean? Like the 2004 Royals won one of the most incredible opening days in franchise history, and they lost 104 games, you know, a a decade later the 2014 Royals got walked off on on opening day um, and actually got walked off on their, their first two games of that season. And, you know, obviously then they came within a swing of winning Game 7 of the World Series. Um, this is basic stuff, right? Like Brad Keller is not going to finish the season with a 40.5 ERA like he has right now. Michael A. Taylor is not going to throw out 324 base runners. Uh, Kyle Isbell is not going to hit 600. You know, baseball has a way of evening out. And, you know, as much as any other sport, the teams that play it the best are the teams that don't let those bright moments change them and don't let the dark moments change them, you know. Uh, but you can sort of eat for a while on a day like this. And, and I think Mike Matheny, I think he was smart in talking about it. Uh, like this here. Um, listen, this, this is good stuff.
2: There's so much that happened in this game. The tag by Salvi at home plate on that second throw, just fantastic. But when Taylor hit that homer, it, it felt like we had almost a full crowd in there. It was loud. People were into it. Um, you know, you could tell as soon as we got back into that game, they were, they were excited and, uh, you, you couldn't help but feed off of that. So that, I think that's part of it, Sam. But the other part is, um, you know, you get any time during a season, you're down five runs, let alone in the first. And the team shows the resiliency, uh, to, to be able to fight back and then go down and then fight back again. You know, you can, you can ride something like that for a solid month. Every time you get down, it doesn't matter. Here we come. You know, just keep taking your at bats, especially the way these guys take their at bats. So, um, you know, just very rare do you have games like that, let alone on your first game of the season in front of your home crowd. Matheny's
0: job is to be sort of a cheerleader, you know? Be a source of energy, positivity, optimism. Um, but he's got a point here. Like you know, there's a reason baseball people like to say that momentum is only as good as that day starting pitcher. You know, because these things can turn in a second. The Royals aren't going to start 16 and two or whatever it was in 2003 just because they had a nice win on opening day. But and and I know Mike is speaking as the manager here. He's talking about like what he hopes his players take from this. Uh, and I get that. But I would argue that a game like that is even more important for fans because my goodness, like how many times in Kansas City have we spent a spring training letting a Royals manager and his players talk us into optimism and then it all turns to a box of rocks on opening day. You know what I mean? Like the Royals might lose ninety games this season. That's that's on the table. Um, and they might also be pretty good. That's on the table too. This is just one to 62. We're all adults here. We all understand that. Um, you know, if you want to use the NFL analogy, one baseball game is basically like six minutes of an NFL season. So, you know, the Royals have a long way to go. We all get that, but I think it's okay to see what happens on the field too, you know, and to let yourself feel something like that's the whole point of sports, right? Especially this year. And I just, with all that in mind it was just this was a really good year for the royals to have an opening day win like they had god it was good to be back in the ballpark too um Okay, uh, that's the show this week um, I appreciate you guys listening uh, As always, I hope we're worth your time uh, Thanks to everybody who called in uh, Even those we couldn't get to Big thanks to Derek Donovan Thank you, thank you, thank you Derek For stepping in, for putting this together um, And as always, the biggest thanks to you guys for, for giving us your time And letting us be a small part of your life uh, We're going to be off next week um, Doing a little road trip with the family For the kids' spring break But um, we'll be back for show 51 After that with plenty to talk about um, Okay, uh, guys, have a great weekend Be kind